Amen. You may be seated. It is awesome to be back here with you today. I was gone the past couple of weeks visiting family down in Tennessee, and I had a nice time down there. For those of you that have already gone on vacations, I hope you've had a nice time. And for those of you that are still uh, planning to go on a vacation this summer, I hope you have an awesome, an awesome restful time. So we're gonna we're gonna start today's sermon with a question. I think I often do this. What would you request if God came to you in a dream and offered you an unlimited supply of any one thing? In 1 Kings 3, King Solomon famously asked for wisdom. God obliges that request and indicates it was a pretty good one. What would be best to ask for. For me, it is hard to narrow down what I would want. Maybe money, right? If I had an unlimited supply of money, think of the good I could do, not just for myself, but for others as well. I could support missionaries, I could feed homeless people, I could open schools. I'm sure I'd probably get a boat or something too. I mean, it's not all for everybody else, right? Money would be helpful, but I suspect knowledge would be better. With knowledge, I could cure cancer or provide an unlimited supply of electricity to the world by uncovering the secrets of vision. Personally, I would also, athletic ability? Like, it, it would be really cool to be like Patrick Mahomes or Jason Tatum, just every time you go out on the field or on the court, know like, I'm, I'm better. Better than everyone else out there. I like to win, so that's pretty appealing to me. Some of you would probably request the same things I mentioned money, smarts, athletic ability. Others of you might ask for different things health, beauty, an ability to write amazing books. I dare say that if we took a survey, it is unlikely that anyone in this room would say they wanted an unlimited supply of the greatest thing Paul talks about in the verses we are going to read this morning. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Before I went on vacation, we kind of pulled this chapter into different parts and looked at them, but we're gonna to try to take a more cohesive view so today we're going to read the whole chapter in an effort to sum up what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, hear the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The greatest of these is love. Love exists in conjunction with faith and hope. They are mutually supporting and reinforcing. Love is what we are called to have faith and hope in. God is love. Love is the reason we exist, is the basis for our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And yet love is undervalued. Our convictions about love are reflected in what we prioritize. Love is often thought of as a good thing, but not treated as the ultimate thing. Love is the foundation for all that is good and worthwhile. The love of God is the means through which His plan to make all things new culminates. Love is the best, it is the most powerful. Love is the greatest. Paul has spent chapter 13 of his first letter to the Corinthians talking about love. What it is, what it isn't, how it behaves. It is clear that love is incredibly important. It is actually the most important thing. That being said, love is connected to both faith and hope. Without faith and hope, it is hard to say what love is. Faith is what a person believes in. Hope is the expectation for how those beliefs will play out. Last year, the college football team I cheer for, the Tennessee Volunteers, had an amazing season. For the previous two decades, this team had disappointed me at every opportunity. I had no faith in them. This also meant I had no hope. My expectation was that whatever could go wrong probably would go wrong in the most heartbreaking fashion. Without a legitimate basis for faith or hope, love 
is a delusion that is sure to disappoint. The person who loves something that does not warrant faith, as I did for the past 20 years, is bound to have their hopes dashed. Love that has no faith or hope is a misplaced delusion. Our world is filled with hopeless romantics. These are people who love something a person, place, or thing that does not warrant faith or hope. Sometimes these loves can be relatively harmless. My love for Tennessee football was sure to disappoint, but it cost, its cost to me was relatively small. Unlike the way I loved the Tennessee football team in my younger days, I had been scarred enough times that I was careful to keep my love in check so as not to invest too much and get hurt again. That'll be harder to do this next season. There are many possible options a person can love. You can love a sports team like I did. Some people love a particular product or company. You might love a pet or your country. Now we're getting close to some sensitive topics. What all possible things we can love in this world have in common is that we can't have complete hope or faith in any of them. If we love them completely, we will be disappointed when they inevitably fail us. The things of this world will pass away. This is true in a literal sense. Rust and moth will destroy the clothes, cars, jewelry, homes, and money that so many people build their lives around. It is also true in a metaphorical sense when it comes to the culture that we celebrate that will come and go. Right now, right at this moment, it's a good time to be a Tennessee football fan. It's, it's fine for me to cheer for my team. When they win, I can enjoy it. When they lose, I can be frustrated. But if I love a sports team with my whole heart, if I build my life around it, if I invest in it, I am bound to be disappointed eventually. They will be a losing team again. At some point, the, the school and the athletic program will cease to exist. Apart from a legitimate faith and hope, Love is a delusion. A delusion is a mental state that doesn't reflect the real world. Fact cannot be separated from fiction. The deluded person is confused. Their actions reflect their confusion. Much of what is described as love in this world is a delusion that has not yet come crashing down. 
What is love seems real only because the faith that has been placed in it has not yet been proven false. In time, all false hopes will disappoint. All delusions will come crashing down. The only entity, the only being that warrants absolute faith and hope, and by extension, absolute love is the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. All the things we as people love so much in this world are contingent on God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This world's existence is an expression of His love. If God stopped loving the world, it would cease to exist. In a very real sense, the world spins because of God. The flutter of every hummingbird's wings would stop without Him. Enjoying what God has created is a thing we should be doing. God takes pleasure in what he has made. He has blessed us with his creation so that we can enjoy it. All that God has made is supposed to point us back to the one who made it. Faith and hope in God will not be disappointed. The Bible is consistent in its witness on this matter. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever, you had, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 adds, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. In Revelation 1.8, God leaves no room for confusion, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Loving God is the opposite of loving a delusion. Loving God is loving eternal reality that is the basis for all else that exists. Although loving God will seem like a delusion in our present world. Remember, our world is filled with things that are passing away. Those that love the things of this world cannot help but feel threatened by the love of God. Those that love God will not love the things of this world in the same way. To this point in today's sermon, I've been talking about loving God or loving other things as an either-or type of choice, but it's not quite that simple. Loving God doesn't mean that we love nothing that is in this world. That would be a maniacal, sociopathic kind of love. If loving God excluded the possibility of loving anything else, nobody would be able to love other people. 
Can you imagine saying to your child or your spouse or to a friend, sorry, I can't, I can't love you. I only love God. Not only would this be a bizarre way to live, it clearly doesn't line up with what God wants from us. Scripture tells us we are to love plenty of what is in this world. Jesus came into this world because of his love for it. We are likewise called to love the people God puts in our lives. Scripture is not calling us to love God to the exclusion of everything else. It is calling us to love God first and foremost. The problem with many people's love, I would actually probably say with all people's love, is that it is disordered. St. Augustine argued the essence of sin is disordered love. When a person loves anything ahead of God, it is an idolatry that leads to destructive behavior. As an example of disordered love, let's return to a parent loving their child. When a parent loves their child more than God, this is a common and often even celebrated thing in our world. The problem is that the parent that loves their child most, inevitably, loves them wrongly. No child can withstand the burden of hope and faith that goes along with this type of love. Unknowingly, in putting the child above God in their heart, the parent is asking the child to play a role only God can play. Their love demands their child never disappoints, which the child cannot do. When we love God first, all of our other loves will fall into place. We will love what God loves. We will love the good things that God has created, including order, truth, and beauty. Loving God ends up leading to virtuous love expressed towards others. Pastor Tim Keller wrote, Augustine taught that we are most fundamentally shaped not as much by what we believe or think or even do, but by what we love. For when we ask whether somebody is a good person, we are not asking what he believes or hopes for, but what he loves. For Augustine, what we call human virtues are nothing more than forms of love. Courage is loving your neighbor's well-being more than your own safety, for example. One of the central claims of the Bible in general, and Jesus' teaching in particular, is that loving God with our heart, soul, and might is the starting point 
for others. The greatness of love, God's love, is our starting point. Just as important, it is the finishing point. In our present world, love will take a lot of abuse. Going back to verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we get a sense of what love must deal with. Love is patient. It doesn't insist on its own way. It bears with and endures. Love is inherently susceptible to pain. Anyone that has ever loved anything is going to experience some pain. When the band Nazareth sang Love Hurts in 1974, they were not wrong. They sang Love hurts, love scars, love wounds, and marks. A person that is unwilling to experience pain in their life cannot experience love. This is even true of God. God knows that love cannot be separated from pain in this world. The love of God has for his people causes him pain. If pain was an avoidable part of love, the cross of Christ would not have been necessary. Due to the pain inherent in love, some people get confused in thinking that love is synonymous with weakness. This is the way Voldemort, for you Harry Potter fans, this is the way that he thought. It is fairly common to think this way among those who fear that their pain, their, their fear of pain is so great that it keeps them from being able to love. They act as if their lack of love is strength when it actually indicates how scared they are. The unloving person is just a person who selfishly loves themselves so much they are incapable of loving anyone else truly. It is undeniable love makes a person vulnerable. Love is a choice that gets made. Love is not a weakness. It requires true strength to choose to be vulnerable out of the sense of love for, for God and others. God's strength is so great. He can love completely without reservation. The greatest force in the universe is the love of God that achieves absolute victory through complete vulnerability. Let us consider the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross out of love. He willingly made himself completely vulnerable. 
Because his love for you and I was so great. He hung naked on a tree, reviled and despised, mocked as he, slow, as he was slowly murdered through a process of torturous suffocation. In the absolute vulnerability of death on the cross, Jesus' victory was achieved. The victory of love occurred. Colossians 2.15 tells us that on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Through emptying Himself in love and taking on the form of man, Christ defeated all. Through the love we have been shown in Christ, we become partakers in the absolute victory of Christ. I want to read a longer section of scripture that I often read at funerals that does a better job describing our present situation than I could hope to do. Paul writes in Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding. For us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, knowing all these things. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is to be desired above all things. All that we value above it will pass away. God has freely given us access to his love through Jesus Christ. We don't have to wish for it. The love of God has been made freely available to us. All we have to do is completely Embrace it, which none of us has done. We're, we all get distracted by these other loves in our lives. We don't fully trust the love of God, and we don't fully show that love towards others. God has given us the best thing He has to give. It is His love. We need to have hope and faith in everything else is secondary. All the sacrifice, mysteries, knowledge, and faith are nothing without love. Love is perfect. 
Our highest call is to become fully mature and to experience God's love dimly, fully. We see dimly. We know in part, let us see more and know more of God's love until that day when love will prevail completely and we will love completely as we have been loved by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that each of us here today would love you with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with our whole strength, Lord. I pray that we would turn away from the delusions of this world that we place ahead of you in, in our hearts and minds. I pray that we would love you and that through loving you, we would love all the other good things that you've placed in our life well. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.